It's always in the news. Somebody got hacked. Somebody's uh, real identity and social security numbers, etc., were stolen. And then somebody lived their life through you instead of you living your life. So they got hijacked. And we talked about how that happens to us in life when we let other people live our lives through, through us instead of ourselves being ourselves. Uh, we want to be accepted. We're afraid of rejection. So we put on this fake identity that's not really who we are. And by the way, the Bible says all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God knows who you really are anyway. So if you're putting on a facade, he sees it. You, you know, you don't have to hide from him when you're talking to him. He knows everything anyway. So if you want to see image management at its best or worst, you go to a 20-year reunion and watch everybody there. It's, it's about impressing the other people that you haven't seen in 20 years. And somebody shows up remembering that they were voted least likely to succeed. And he's thinking, I'll show you guys. So he rents a car, a real nice car. Maybe he rents a limo. And they act like it's theirs. They rent a great tux. They rent a nice date. Oh, yes, you can rent a date and act like it's theirs. Amazing, huh? I want to talk about the illusion of success in this identity crisis. You know how early in life that definition of success thing gets started? Go to a playground, sit with a bunch of parents who've got toddlers playing, and listen to their conversation. So when did she learn to walk? When did he learn to talk? Can she say her ABCs? We hope to send her to law school. This is unbelievable. We're talking about three-year-olds. Ever watch a sporting event and watch a parent go nuts trying to live their unlived life through their kid? They will say horrible things to their kid, to coaches and referees. They will even fight. One kid in high school was thrown out of a game by the referee. His mother stormed onto the basketball court, yelling at the top of her lungs, you can't do that, he's my franchise. What? A 13-year-old kid's gonna be her ticket to success. How would you like to live with that name tag all your life? Oh, meet franchise here. <laughs> my personal retirement. There's enormous pressure to perform and get good grades. Now, we ought to do our best to excel at everything we do. It honors God. You know, we've all seen the bumper sticker that says, I'm the proud parent of an honor student. I haven't seen any that say, my kid got a C and I'm just as proud. My kid got a D minus, but he's really kind. Alanis Morissette sings a song called Perfect. And it's written from the perspective of a parent talking to their kid, pushing him to be what the parent never was. And the song ends with a line that says, the parents will love the son just the way he is if he's perfect. So our culture screams, do whatever it takes to blow by your coworkers, your classmates, your teammates, your family, your neighbors. Be bigger, be smarter, stronger, faster, richer, and more powerful. Be better than the other guy. Well, look at what the wisest man on the earth wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 4. This is Solomon. Then I observed that most people are motivated to success by their envy of their neighbors. But this too is meaningless like chasing the wind. 
So what makes us run so fast and compete so intensely? I mean, all of us are given God-given drives. That's good. And if they're channeled in a healthy way, they can help us get the most out of life. But looking around today, I see way too many people with those drives way out of balance and way out of control. And the root of it is hunger for acceptance, just like being in a gang. It, it's a hunger for that elusive, I want to hear, that a boy, that's my girl, I'm proud of you. I think people are hungry for an unfailing love. And from my experience, I found, see if you agree, most workaholics grew up in homes that were performance-driven, and they were taught that love and acceptance are earned. Now, you bring that person to Jesus, and we got a problem because they're going to be performance-driven thinking they can earn God's love and favor. So, they say, if you run a little faster, if you do a little better, then maybe I'll get some love and acceptance showered on me until the next time you fail. See? So, you watch these people searching for that acceptance they never got. They're starved for unconditional love, and they are saying to everybody, I feel like a nobody. I hate that feeling. I'm going to be somebody, and I'm going to prove to everybody that I am somebody. If it takes long hours, seven days a week, if it costs me my health, if it costs me my marriage, if it costs me my kids, if it costs me my soul, I will pay that price because I can't stand feeling like an unloved nobody. So I'll perform. I'll produce, I will earn, I will accumulate, I will strive, I will drive, and I will win until I am appreciated and accepted and admired. Now, they complicate it because of their suffocating need to please others. They can't say no. So they overextend themselves in projects and causes, even good ones, until they're spread so thin they give up their life. They're motivated not by their personal passion for that cause, but by the fear of not living up to somebody else's expectation. And subconsciously, they are saying, I don't care what it costs me, I will be liked, I will be admired, I will be accepted, I'll be respected. And they pass that disease right on to their kids. I love this point by an old Southern preacher we knew, Clovis Chapel. And Clovis Chapel, this old southern preacher, tells a story about a steamboat race on the Mississippi River. Both steamboats started down the river. They were all throwing coal on the fire to make more steam. One boat edged out in front of the other and was just about to take a good lead when it ran out of coal. So they started throwing all their cargo on the fire. They pulled ahead and won the race, but they burned up all their cargo. But they won the race, but they burned up all their cargo. Duh, this is kind of dumb. And, and folks, those of you who are parents, God's entrusted us with precious cargo, not just kids, but our lives, families, marriages, our health, our relationship to God. How much have I got to burn up to feel like I'm winning, to feel like I'm somebody? So if, if you get in my job out in the ministry, it's all about how many TV channels you're on. The first question, how, ma- how many people come to your church, it's all about I've got to have this identity that I am somebody. And it just gets sick. It, it becomes bondage. And then you've got to look a certain way. 
Got to get the right haircut, got to have the skinny jeans, got to have the tears in the right place, got to have the V-neck T-shirt that looks like a nightgown hanging down here, got to have my little bracelets, I got to do my juicing, I got to look the image. <laughs> I talked to my, we got lots of doctors in here, and, and most all of them are good friends, and I, I asked about that juicing, you know, because I want to be a hunk of hunk of burning love, you know, I want to... <laughs> And they all tell me, no, 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 don't even think about it. It'll cause your bones and muscles to grow, tumors, cancer, it'll, your heart will grow. They said it has long-range, big, bad effects. So I said, okay, okay, but when I'm 90, I'm going to juice. When I'm 90, I'm going to juice because whatever, whatever affliction I get, I will die before the affliction can kill me. And people can come by and say, Lord, look at him. He looks good. But that's going on right now, some of the young preachers and all. Now, I'm cool, whatever. Whatever's your style, it's okay. But I will not be captured by what I'm not. And if that's not me, I can say, I appreciate you, but you're ugly to me. I ain't going to wear that. Now, I'm tr- you hear what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to say, I don't have to be accepted by a religious group. I don't have to be accepted by a political group. I'm just not probably going to fit real good in any group completely because then you lose your identity. Who are you? See, you've got to be you, be who you are. When the unfailing love of Jesus Christ fills up that hole in your heart and you know you're accepted by God, you don't have to strive, you don't have to perform. I am somebody, I am accepted. I don't care if you come off a farm, if you're in construction, if you're an executive or a CEO with a business. I don't care whether you're a millennial or whatever your background is. You don't have to wear a certain style of anything to come to this church. You just be you. I've always told you, just don't come naked, but wear what you want. If you like a blazer and look like a, a corporate executive, super. If you are more casual and wear your sandals and Bermuda shorts, fine. I don't care, but don't force me to be you. I'm happy with you. You just suck it up. You have to be happy with me. I love all our millennials up here. They wear, it'd be 106 degrees and they got a stocking hat on. They got, they got more holes in their jeans. I'm thinking, you just, how much money did you lose getting those jeans where there are nothing but a bunch of holes look like the rats ate them out, you know? Nothing fits, nothing matches, and I love every one of them, but I, I am, I'm me. I like Frank Sinatra, I gotta be me. And I want you to be the same way. God loves you, he made you like you are. So let's get out of this nonsense, I have to conform to this political group or that race group or that, uh, this religious group and crowd, and they've all got their little styles and their man handbags and stuff. Nothing wrong with any of that. Nothing wrong with that. Some of them wear $5,000 kicks. They got those nice little sneakers on. Shoot, I could see me telling Cindy I spent $5,000 for a pair of rubber shoes. It ain't happening, no. I probably wouldn't either. I'd buy something for 5000 but it wouldn't be a pair of shoes. Buy something for the house or something. Something with appreciating value, maybe. So you don't have to be the best, guys, but you want to do your best, right? So when all is said and done, what's your legacy going to be? A nice portfolio? A few plaques and awards? A thousand lost golf balls? 
You might have worked the image, you might have looked successful, but you never really loved and you never really lived. When I married Cindy, and she'll tell you, when we moved here finally, she had a big cardboard box, big old thing. It had all my awards and trophies and plaques and achievements from high school, college, and in business. They're all gone. <laughs> yes, sir, I didn't need the Lord. She threw them all out. <laughs> they don't mean squat to me today. Now, when I first got it, I thought, I'm somebody. And then as your journey in Jesus, I realized that's stuff all you got to polish it. It always tarnishes. The glue comes off the back of your little trophy and nobody cares. Nobody cares. And I just let it go. Could care less. But I thought it was so important so many years ago and then realized how unimportant it really is. See, when God compiled the Ten Commandments, he put two at the top. Exodus 20, verse 3 through 5. He said, don't worship any other gods beside me. And don't make idols of any kind, whether in the shape of birds, animals, or fish. You must never worship or bow down to these idols, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not share your affection with another God. So God tells us not to make any images or bow down to them. So what do we do in our culture? We set this image of success up, and we're going to bow down to it. i got to have the right body, the right clothes, the right car, the right house, the right job, wear the right watch, wear the right purse, whatever. And I've got to have the right office, and I pursue this image. And we pursue it and pursue it, and we bow down to this image. It controls us. See, worship is when you pour energy and affection and devotion into something. I'm worshiping it. The Bible also calls it idolatry, the worship of anything other than God. Amazing. That's what idolatry is. It's not a totem pole. It's sad to see a lot of people worshiping that image, bowing down before that image, and it becomes their false identity. It's a vicious cycle. In Luke 18, there's a story of a young guy. He's caught up in that cycle, that illusion. He's called the rich young ruler. He comes to see Jesus. He's lost in that cycle of identity theft. He looked like his life was pretty well together. He's dressed well. He's young. He's handsome. He's cover boy for Middle East GQ magazine. He's power lunching at the Jerusalem Country Club. He's driving a chariot with all the options, including a moonroof. And by appearance, this guy's got it all figured out. But in reality, he's totally empty. So he comes to Jesus in Luke 18, verse 18. Good teacher, what should I do to get eternal life? Did you hear that? What must I do? He's a performer, a high achiever, financially, religiously. He's always had to do something to earn his acceptance. And he's coming to God thinking, I got to do something. And the churches reek with people who feel like they're on a clipboard of performance I've got to do this and do this for God to love me. Totally false. You don't know what the cross did in giving us grace and mercy. It's not, it's not a license to do what, anything you want to do, but it ain't too far from it. The, 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 point, the point being is I don't have to perform to earn God's acceptance. Jesus did. He, he led a sinless life. I certainly didn't. I didn't make it. How about you? I don't see anybody glowing in the dark in here. Yeah. And I'm simply saying, this kid thinks, and now I've got to earn by what I do your approval and love. So eternal life is a gift 
from God. Our eternal destiny is linked to a bloodstained cross of Jesus. But this young ruler asked, what must I do? This guy's culture uh, views rich people as those that are accepted by God and people that were blessed. So this young guy is working the success image. He thinks he's even worked his way into good standing with God. And Jesus gives him a trip down the Ten Commandments, skipping the two about bowing before images and having other gods. And then this guy says, yes, I got an A. I've kept all these since I was a child. Yeah, right. It's a front. But God knows our real self. And in Mark 10, verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus could see through his facade, but he looked at him and loved him. Then Jesus said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at this, it says the young man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, this guy looked like he had it all together, but he lacked one amazing thing called surrender. Jesus said, you're bowing down to the wrong image. The one thing you lack is complete surrender to the only true and living God. Put him first in your life, and that, that's kind of what makes life come together for you. And the issue here, listen, is not wealth. That's not a bad thing. Some of you could use a little more. And if you'd honor the Lord, you'd probably have more. But the issue is not wealth. It's his heart and his affections. So Jesus went right at it. See, you can be poor and be just as empty and lost as he is. Jesus is saying the issue is your heart. Who has it or what has it? And this guy's image, his possessions, had stolen his affection, stolen his worship, stolen his identity. But when you know who God is and then you know who you are because you know God, you start to reflect the image of God in your life. Remember a scripture when we first started this series, Ephesians 3, verse 17 through 19. Paul says, I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your heart as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how deep, how long, how high his love really is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is so great you'll never fully understand it. Then you'll be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. See, if you don't know who God is, you're going to be fear-driven, performance-driven, you're going to be approval-seeking, and you're going to be unbending and unrealistic in your expectations of other people. Did you know pagans, unsaved people, don't know what you know? How could you expect them to be like you? Christians amaze me. You know, Jesus befriended everybody before everybody accepted him. You, you try that. How many lost friends do you have? I'll tell you something interesting. After 76 years of life, you'll be amazed how some of your best friends turn out to be a non-Christian who help you the most in a crisis. I, <laughs> I, I'd love to sit here and just give you a few illustrations from my life about people who ran one of the largest beer companies in this state was the first one to call me in a crisis because I had been there for him when his child was in a major accidental homicide and murder. It's just amazing uh, how, how you can have impact with people 
who, who don't know God from a hole in the ground, but they like you. And if that God in heaven does this for you, they'd like to know some more about that God. It's just, just interesting. Uh, I don't know. I can't solve the problem. You know, it's been around a long time, so I guess it'll still hang around. But we ought to know better. When you know and trust in the God who loves you consistently, freely, unconditionally, it changes you. A loving God fosters loving people. You would think, how do we get so mean? How we view God shapes our identity and our lives. When you see somebody that doesn't agree with you, you have to go way back in their life. How were they formed? How were they shaped? Who had impact in their life? What tragedy befell them? What crisis happened in them? Who were they under? How did they arrive at this thinking conclusion? And if you're not patient and gracious with that, you'll, you'll throw them away. You'll miss them. We all are who we are because of what we've been through. All of us have been marked by many different, some good things, some horrible things. But they make us like we are. You wouldn't believe I was from a military family. Yeah, I know. My wife said I should have been born in a war. Yeah. Well, I kind of am in spiritual warfare. It's the same thing. But, but, but it has shaped me. And being in a family divorced four or five times and being raised by different relatives, it makes you hard. It makes you tough if you're going to survive. You're not easy. You're not warm and fuzzy. You're kind of prickly and like a porcupine sometimes, you know. You don't let people get too close to you. I'm trying to help you see why some people are like they are. And politically, ideology, people have been mistreated, others have not cared, and then you get division, and you get strife. And I'm thinking, when you come to Jesus, you, you should be smarter to say, I'm not going to prejudge you. You may end up being a phenomenal Christian. The Apostle Paul was a, was a, a horrible guy, and he hated Christians. He put them in jail, had them killed. He ends up writing 75% of the New Testament. Some of you sorry old folks in here, you may do something really great. And people didn't believe in you. Or your parents didn't believe in you. It's amazing what God can do. It really is. When you really know who you are, when you know you're accepted, when you know you are secure and significant in the eyes of God, it frees me up to be the best you could ever be. And it'll free you up too. I don't have to perform I don't have to measure up to some standard. Jesus did all that for me. I want to do well. I want to do the right thing. I want to succeed at what my purpose is in life. But if it doesn't go well on a day when road construction's terrible and folks don't want to drive to church, I'm not going to go home and lay on the floor and cry. I'm going to go down to Chester's and get a hamburger. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. Can't get my acceptance from something like that. When you embrace your identity as a child of God, you decrease your hunger for applause from other people. I want people to like me, but if they don't, I don't care. You're grateful for your life. You appreciate love. You even like yourself. That's nice. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. For some of you, that would be manslaughter. You don't like yourself. So it's proper to like yourself first. And then you can love other people. So you stop running so fast, trying so hard to be somebody, because you already are somebody. Listen, I may be tall or short, but I'm somebody because I'm God's kid. 
I may be skinny or fat, but I'm somebody because I'm God's kid. I may be black, white, or Hispanic, but I'm somebody because I'm God's child. I may be rich, I may be poor, but I'm somebody because Jesus is my Savior and I'm God's child. I am somebody. I'm not trying to be somebody. I already am, and I know it deep inside. See, I love this verse, John 21, verse 20. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. Hadn't he got a name? Does anybody know who was called the disciple who Jesus loved? John. Yeah, this is open book quiz. All right, John. And John. And who wrote that verse? John. John, had he lived in our culture, would have said, John the apostle. Who's following him? John the youth minister. John the bishop, the associate pastor. But he says, hey, I'm just the one God loves. And that's the only title you need, folks. You're deeply loved and accepted by God on your worst day. That's your real identity. Every other identity is just an illusion. My worth, your worth is not found in what I own. I could drive a Kia with 200,000 miles on it, and it hadn't made me any different. Oh, I might say, this car sucks, but it's getting me where I want to go. But if I drove up in a brand new Mercedes or a new Bentley, you'd say, whoa, and I could be a jackass driving that car. And a lot of them are. And I've driven the good and I've driven the ugly and the bad. I've had them all. But I never felt like I'm a person of low wet worth because I don't have a fancy car. I do have a fancy sports car, but it was given to me by somebody who doesn't even go here, not a member here. Remember I told you sometimes <laughs> bad people will treat you better than a Christian. <laughs> God can make ravens feed you. God can turn the heart of the king towards you. He can give you, some of you need to wake up, discover who you really are. See, it's not, I, I, it's not found in my reputation. Jesus said he made himself of no reputation. My worth is not found in my title or my clothing or my neighborhood or my zip code. Uh, my worth is not found in applause by people or people telling me how important I am to the company. I'm anchored in the love of God. And the one who tells me, hey, you're my kid, my child. I love you with radical love. Remember this quote, our first uh, last week, I think, from Henry Nguyen. Even though you may not be chosen by the world, you're chosen by God. And every time you listen to his voice, you discover in yourself a desire to hear that voice more deeply. He's always got good news for you. Always got good news for you. So James 4 verse 8 says, draw close to God, God will draw close to you. So when you start to experience the intimacy with God, a good relationship, you start changing. Your identity starts changing. You no longer want to be the image you once wanted to be because it feels so free to be the person God made you to be. Yeah, and everybody doesn't have to like you. If you want everybody to like you, sell ice cream. <laughs> draw near to God, he will draw near to you. God says, any questions? James 4, verse 10, when you bow down before the Lord and admit your dependence on him, he will lift you up and give you honor. I love that. See, know who he is. Know who you are in his eyes. Get intimate with him. Draw close to him, and you reflect a whole new image. Before his conversion, Paul was a powerful, work-the-image Pharisee, smart, successful, well-educated, but totally empty. 
And then he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, and he became a completely new person. His name was Saul. Now it was changed to Paul. Philippians 3, verse 7, I once thought all these things, status, success, image, were so important, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yeah, everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Jesus as my Lord. I have discarded everything else, all my awards and trophies, counting it as garbage so that I may have Christ and become one with Him. Paul was saying, hey, I'm done trying to impress people. I'm done working the image. And when you can say that, folks, it's a good day. Now you can live your life, pour yourself into what really matters. Failure is to succeed. It's something that doesn't really matter. How true. There's nothing more prestigious than just being used by God in your life, no matter what your occupation is. If you're a doctor, get your prestige from the fact you're used by God in a unique way to help people great. If you're a teacher, do it because that's where God has placed you to make a difference in the world. Through a ch One child may change the world, set in your class. If you're a carpenter, a truck driver, do it because that's where God has placed you. Do it with all your heart. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.